Rosie and Bill Show wish to thank our primary sponsors, The Mallon Agency, located in Springfield, PA, where they take pride in exceeding expectations every time. The Roselli Agency. Brian and his team of insurance professionals have been serving the needs of Chester County for more than two decades. Anthony DiCecco and our friends at Tennis Addiction are ready to serve all your tennis needs at their beautiful facility in Exton, PA. Welcome, everyone, to the Rosie and Bill Show. You know, folks, I have to tell you, I enjoy every conversation and getting to know every guest that we have on our show. And I'm thankful and honored to be able to do what I love to do with my amazing co-host. But tonight, I'm even more pumped up than usual because we have our guest. He's one of my all-time favorite artists. He's an accomplished songwriter, a high-energy performer, and he's the guy that put the cool back in double XL. Please welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show, Keith Anderson. Keith, welcome to the show. All right, thanks for having me. We're happy to have you, Keith. I've been, Bill's been pumped about this for a long time, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited, excited to be on with you guys. Definitely, and we always like to kind of, it's like a mini biography on this show. We like to kind of find out about how you came up. And we understand that when you were young, junior high and high school, you were an athlete. Yes. So two questions. One, what sport or sports did you play? And two, when did music come into the picture for you? Um, I, I, I grew up playing just about everything I could. I was I lettered in, in um, football, basketball, baseball and track. Um, eventually, um, I could I, I kind of concentrated more on, on I, I still played basketball all the way through. It wasn't my best sport. Looking back now, I wish I'd taken that season off between football and baseball just spent more time concentrating on baseball because uh, basketball was never going to be nothing thing. But but um, um, we had, you know, we, it was fun in high school and junior high doing it. So um, but really had most of my success in football and, and baseball. We, we were in the state championship in football a couple of years. Wow. And then uh, I was yeah, I was able to I was drafted by on the draft list for Kansas City Royals and and able to uh, went to Oklahoma State and and uh, was walked on there. So what uh, that was did you play, Keith, in baseball? I was outfielder. Yeah, played center field until I got to college, and then there were some guys a lot faster than me there, so they played center. I started I started really strong arm, so they put me in right field. Well, yeah, it definitely helps to have a, a strong arm in right field. We're we're in suburban Philadelphia, and our right fielder. He's been kind of banged up for a while. He's been DH and a guy named Bryce Harper. We're waiting for him yeah. to get his arm back so we can go back out there in right field. Yeah, it's been a bummer. I like watching him play. And I, it's always, it's a bummer when the, the great players are have injuries and you're not able to just kind of see them through season. So that's a bummer. But I, I started loving music. My my older brother uh, was was just um, – he, he started playing guitar at an early age. And just was obsessed with it. The kind of thing where you go in the room and try to talk to him and he'd just be playing the same thing over and over. And you'd ask him the same question four times and before you'd finally go, Brian, listen, I'm asking you a question because he was so obsessed. But he was he was more shy and uh, introverted at the time. And um, he just was I remember the time it was, it was one it was one of his uh, the high school senior talent show. And I was uh, we got out of school early that day and, and went and sat in the bleachers and he was just 
this quiet guy that nobody really knew. And, um, and I was, you know, the, the quarterback for a football team and I'm sitting there with bruises and scrapes all over my arms and just sore as heck from football practice in the football season. And, and uh, he gets up and they, it, it was just like almost like a haphazard introduction. Even the guys that were emceeing it, you know, always trying to be the funny guys and didn't really know my brother, Brian, just said, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Anderson. And he got up and he sang uh, uh, Dan Fogelberg longer. I mean, he, he he's a still to this day a better singer and guitar player than I am. And uh, it was just funny because the whole crowd got silent and just watched him and were mesmerized what he what he's doing. And all of a sudden I see the girls kind of shifting and paying a little attention all the cheerleaders and the hot girls and I'm and sitting there going this might be a little less painful way to pick up girls here what, what my brother's doing <laughs> kind of yeah I'm sitting there bleeding and scraped and bruised thinking man this might be I might have to get into this music thing so I became his drummer first and foremost. I just picked up the drum <laughs> shortly after that and and uh and it ended up being a band with my brother I was the drummer and I was trying to be Don Henley, single, single lead, and mainly harmonies, though. Wow. You know, I have to tell you, that's the number one incentive for musicians to get on stage is the girls. This is not yeah. the first time we've heard this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I, I know that, that Don Henley thing isn't easy. I, I played the drums and sang a little too, Keith. I know how hard that can be. Yeah. Yeah, try trying to keep the rhythm and, and, and sing at the same time. Yeah. What was the story? I, I tell say, well, my first time, time, well, one of my first times at the Opry, I love going out and playing the Opry just because I get there early and I stay until it's over. Cause I, you just never know who you're going to get to run into and who's going to invite you into the room to hang out. And one of my best memories was, was with, uh, was walking by little Jimmy Dickens room and Mel Tillis was in there and, and, uh, they were just, they just started telling these stories. And, you know, I was, it was, to me, it's still so, it's just, it's like a holy place to go and play. And you look up to these guys that are the legends, you know, like they're saints. And, and you, you just, you just want to hear their stories and, and see where they came from. And it didn't take more than five minutes, 10 minutes. And, and I'm telling you the story, I can't repeat half the stories. They were so hilariously funny. Those, when they get to telling the old story, you know, the old stories that they had on being on the road together. But it didn't take long to figure out these these guys that you have such a reverence for and you're just so awed by got into music the exact same reason that I did because it was all <laughs> about girls and it was all about drinking and it was all about all the same stuff that we're doing now. So it was pretty funny. <laughs> well, looking back though, Keith, you went after high school and you said you went to Oklahoma State and you got a degree in engineering, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. so, and did you take a job in that field after graduating? Yeah, graduated, moved to uh, Dallas, Texas. And that's really, it's funny because there was a lot of the jobs that I was looking at. There was one up in, in Minnesota that was with Brown and Root. And they were, at that time, cleaning up after the Gulf War, the first Gulf War in, in 90. Um, they had a lot of guys going up there and working in the, in the oil fields, helping the engineering part of that. And those guys were just making so much money. And it was, you know, all, I think, government tax-free. I can't remember all the details, but that's really where I wanted to go because of the money. But at the time, I was engaged, and that engagement didn't last very long. It lasted about four months, five months after I moved to Dallas. But the crazy thing is, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know that I'd be singing if I'd taken any of these other jobs. There was three other jobs that 
I really preferred, but I, I took the one in Dallas because it was so close to Stillwater and my fiance at the time was still uh, in school at Stillwater. And so I went there and then all of a sudden within the first couple of months of living in Dallas, I realized that all my heroes, all these country music stars that I love, you know, just listening to on the radio um, were there every weekend. There was Cowboys, Cowboys Red River, Billy Bob's, Country 2000, Country 2001. There's like five or six major country venues to where every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I could go and for the first time see live music. I'd always just, you know, growing up in small town, Oklahoma, I never really had a chance to go see a lot of live music. And so all of a sudden I was there and I was, I was the, the, the goober, man. I was there two hours before the show and got as close, you know, try to get to the stage if I could, because I just loved watching what everybody, not just the, the singer, but what everybody in the, whether it was a solo artist or a band, I just loved watching what they were doing on stage and the interaction and how they would disguise a big hit with, you know, with a different kind of intro and then just kind of slam into the big, the big, you know, signature guitar lick or whatever it is. And everybody go crazy. It was just the, the theater of it was just, just amazing to me. I, I couldn't get enough of it. And I, I literally was almost every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'd be at one of those venues trying to, trying to take it in. So when did you go from, sorry, Bill, when did you go from watching to saying, Hey, uh, I want to do this. Within a couple of years uh, there, I I'd, uh, found out about this place called the Grapevine Opry. <clears throat> and because, uh, you know, you had to put together your own band and everything and to try to do that. And and uh, I was still at that time working uh, with the engineering company. And I eventually quit that and went back to school. That's when I started getting uh, doing my prerequisites for physical therapy school. But in that that whole time I've learned about the Grapevine Opry. And at that point you would just have to go, you had to audition, but once you made it, they had a house band. So it was kind of like the Grand Opry where you would just send your songs in and then you could sing three songs on a Friday and Saturday night and kind of get your stage experience. And in the process of that, I met a guy named, uh, uh, was, uh, one of the, the main girl singer was Lainey Bartley, who's still a great uh, singer in the churches in the Dallas area. And she and her boyfriend, Rusty Gaston, um, recruited me to be in the Six Flags show, Six Flags Over Texas country show. And so that turned into where we were doing six shows a day, five days a week, you know, in this big theater at the, at the uh, Six Flags Over Texas. And I will say there was a lot of that cheesy dancing stuff. I had to learn how to do a kickball change and junk like that. <laughs> but the, the producer really had a forward, he was forward thinking and he had a band that played for the show, but then he would let different artists every show come out and do songs with the band and sometimes he lets us do original music if, if he liked our original stuff and out of that country show there was amber dawson who signed with capitol records before i'd sign my deal and uh um let's see sean bailey who's played with big and rich and wade hayes and a bunch of people he played fiddle on that show sean uh what was sean's last name he was the guitar player he played with big and rich and he's played with some other people uh, there's just a crazy amount uh, Brian Simpson who played fiddle there. He played fiddle for Sarah Evans and then became a huge songwriter has written number one hits for George Strait. And I mean, more, more than you can imagine. And, uh, and then me, and then a guy named Rusty Gaston, who I told you um, kind of recruited me over there. Well, Rusty is now the head of Sony music publishing, the biggest publisher in the world. 
And we were roommates for 10 years. I mean, we just, that group stayed friends. There was a bunch of us that moved to Nashville at the same time and all three bedroom apartment with, you know, bunk beds and sleeping bags on couches and just everybody trying to make it. I love stories like that. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So speaking of fun, old stories, in addition to your engineering job, we also understand there was a lot of survival jobs after that. And one job that you and I have in common, which involved cologne or perfume, we understand squirt you- Squirt and flirt. <laughs> we called it squirt and flirt. Spray and play or squirt and flirt, that's what we called it. What was that <laughs> like? And folks, if you don't know what that is, why don't you tell them and then I'll tell you my experience. With well, that. I'm the guy, at the, well, a lot of people, it was funny because during that time I was already doing it when the Friends episode came out with Joey working at the at the you know shop dressed as a cowboy. We didn't dress like that, but we did have like whatever company we were working for. We had shirts, but then basically it was the guy that would hand out the little spray. You'd spray the cards and hand it out, and you know basically it was you know uh, just flirting. It was trying to get the women close. You could rub the lotion in their hand on their hands and show how great it smelled, or get some perfume on their wrist and you know touch them as much as you can just to make them feel like they want to buy it. And you know at that time I was trying to wait tables and do other things, but this gave me a flexible job where it was like fifteen dollars an hour to just, I got more phone numbers doing that than I probably did as a musician later in life. But it was, it was fun because it was just truly just having fun and entertaining. It was, it was, it was entertainment things. You had to be able to do something to catch the attention of the customer. And then you try to get them to to buy your stuff. Yeah. That is so fun. Did you sell a lot of the fragrance? In the beginning I did. And then I uh, started working with my boss's uh, husband and he ended up being in my band and we would just show up and just go goof off and try to write songs, and try to work on things. Yeah, we were, we were, yeah. So we, I only kept my job there the last year or so just because, uh, I, you know, he was in my band. <laughs> that's great though. That's, that's, you know, I did that for a little bit and uh, there was a men and, and women's fragrance that I was promoting and people would freak out when they saw you with a fragrance bottle. Cause they're like, don't spray me. You know? Oh yeah. And uh, I'm like, I'm not going to spray you just, but, but in the beginning, I was very nervous because I picked up on their fear. And I remember yeah. at the time saying, okay, like the first customer, I said, okay, ma'am, if, if you'd like later, you can come on over and take a whiff. <laughs> <laughs> I that was the best thing. Take a whiff. Take a whip. That's what I like about the cards. You could, if they were a little shy, you just spray that and just go, just take this and smell it. At your oh, own convenience. Yeah. With it, was, it at your own convenience. That, that was like a sporting event. Oh my God. It was crazy. But I got better after that. <laughs> uh, who who'd you sell for? It was Benetton. Do you remember the Benetton stores? Yeah. And they had a fragrance called Colors. And it was for men and women. You know, they had a different it was crazy. It was but it was fun. Yeah, we were always like in Dillard's. So we I'd be working with a lot of other people working fragrance. So it was like a fraternity and sorority of people that were just there every day and and some of the reps would come in. But I worked for uh, Tommy Hilfiger for a while and then okay. uh, Cool Water and all their brands. Uh, oh yeah. They're uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, lots of good stuff. Yeah, they dab it off and yeah, all right. the dab it off. I have to admit, I'm jealous of both you guys. Like, I, I was like a bouncer. Like, that was okay, but you guys were having a lot more fun. 
Yeah, it was great money too, and it's flexible. I could work with you know in the mornings when the mall first opened. I could work in the evenings, and it gave me a chance to kind of schedule it around my writing. At that time, I was just writing every day, so it gave me a chance to kind of schedule it around my writing schedule and and still make really good money. Well, and a lot of it was on the weekends. And at that time, I wasn't touring because I was still in Nashville trying to, you know, play music. And most of the time, you were trying to play music during the week because that's when most of the executives would be in town and would want to get out. So you really, your weekends were open. So you, you could work your long days on the weekends and, mm. and then part-time during the weeks. Well, Keith, you just talked a moment ago about your writing. And that's a nice segue into the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Now, I know it's going to pale in comparison, I think, to squirt and flirt or spray and play, but... <laughs> In 2001, you co-wrote a song having to do with beer and a run, a beer run, and uh, George Jones and Garth Brooks record the song. I mean, what was that like for you personally and professionally? And did you think you had peaked at that point already? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't have a publishing deal when this all came about. I, I still was trying to get my first songwriting deal, publishing deal. And um, I, was, I knew I was getting closer because I was starting to write with bigger and bigger writers every week and and it really kind of uh by playing out and 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 playing live at a lot of these songwriter shows at the bluebird and other big places in nashville i was able to have some of the other writers that would be the bigger writers that would play after me if they, they would come in early they might hear my set and and some of them were interested enough to to you know ask to write with me and and you know i'd go to a lot of their shows and, you know, kind of talk to them afterwards and try to, there's just a certain way to approach somebody that's not like, you know, off-putting. And um, that's how I got to know Jeffrey Steele is just coming to some of his shows and then start talking about some of the Boy Howdy stuff earlier. And and uh, he was really interested in what I was doing and, and, and we started working together. But uh, at that time, we were just, just playing out a lot and started writing with bigger and bigger uh, writers. And Judon Rooney from Rascal Flats was from my hometown area. And uh, when I moved up here, they, they broke and I called him and we went out and hung out for a couple of nights. And then he was going to be right with a guy named Kim Williams the next day and invited me in. And uh, Kim and I just hit it off immediately. And uh, we, didn't, we didn't write anything great with Joe Don, but, but that introduction was priceless for my career because um, Kim and I ended up being dear friends. And uh, I introduced him. I brought George Dukas in. He'd never written with George Dukas. I brought George in as we wrote uh, – um, beer run with with uh, Kim. He he didn't even he he didn't really know. He'd never met um, John Rich. Didn't know him. They both wrote for Sony, but he did. He didn't think he'd like John Rich. I said you'll love John. I brought John in, and they hit it off. Became great friends. And the first song we wrote together was uh, "Pick 'Em All Flowers." And so it's a lot of songs I've written with, with Kim and, and he opened a lot of doors for me just by speaking on my behalf and and calling people up and inviting them out to my shows. So. Uh, that's how we, we got together, me and George Dukas and Kim. Uh, his daughter had just got back from college, and he said, she said something about this, they're going on a beer run, B-E-E-R-R-U-N. I'm like, yeah, we used to say that in college. That phrase has been around forever, but I've never heard, you know, and it was like, let's, let's, let's try to write something about that. And uh, so that was that was it. We wrote we actually wrote a completely different version than the one that you hear on the radio. It was just me and, and Kim and George, and we gave Kim's daughter – credit on it for, for the idea and it was real fast paced you know b double e double r u m beer run gotta get some cold drops tap tap bring bait six bag long neck check that make that a cold right and just <laughs> on and on and on and uh kim just he thought it was hilarious and loved it 
And so he took it straight to guard. And that's that, riding with those kind of riders without a publishing deal was, was, you know, the key for me because I, I was lucky enough to ride with Jeffrey Steele and Bob DePiro and Kim Williams and a lot of these guys before I was even signed a, a publishing deal. And um, he took it to Garth. Garth loved it, but he felt like it was too close to ain't going down. The sun comes up as far as the rapid fire lyrics the melody wasn't but it was you know just a real fast song and he had this dream of wanting to do a song with george jones and so he he said i'm gonna you know let's let's rewrite this and so he invited in uh, kim and then kent blazy wasn't on the original but kent was one of gar's big co-writers invited kim and kent to come with and, and rewrite the whole thing with him and it turned out the way you hear it on the radio um and then at that point you know we brought Kent Blazian as a writer. It was almost like Devil Went Down to Georgia. There's so many writers on it. But the cool thing was Garth, he never put his name on it as a publisher, never took any publishing because he's like, man, if I record this with George Jones, that's enough for me. And, you know, you guys already wrote one version and we've kind of turned it around, wrote another version. So to Garth's credit, he, you know, he, he was just cool about all that. And uh, next thing you know, I got a call. It was funny because one month before all this happened, Cause it happened quick when, when we finished the song, it was Garth had it and rewrote it and was in the studio within about two months and about one month before any of that, before we knew Garth was going to do anything with it. I, I, you know, about every six months you'd go through and meet with all the publishers and try to, you know, show your new songs and try to get them to, to impress them enough that they're going to give you a writing deal. And that last meeting, we were like, man, you're getting so close. You're getting so close, man. You really, and they would sign you up with their writers so that if you wrote a great song, at least they already had the publishing on their, the writer they already had signed. And they were kind of like the spies to let them know how you were. Well, it just been like a month out of that six month waiting period of going back again. And uh, everybody was like, oh, you're getting close. And all of a sudden everybody found out that Garth Brooks had recorded a song. After everybody called me back immediately going, hey, you know, on second thought, we think you're really ready. <laughs> <laughs> so because of that, I was able to actually walk into a, my first publishing deal with a really great, uh, what's called a co-pub. I, I was able to ride, walk in instead of just a straight publishing deal. I was really fortunate from the beginning of my publishing uh, career to have a, a, a co-pub so that's been nice that must be a great feeling Keith to work so hard and then have that opportunity to work with a Garth Brooks with a Jeffrey Steele with all of those very well established and gifted songwriters how did that feel for you and then now to be relevant say to these publishing companies what was that like for you I uh, you know it's it's I kind of relate it to, you know, when you hear uh, a basketball player saying that they couldn't believe they had watched Michael Jordan their whole life and then, you know, made the NBA and was able to actually, you know, all go out and play with him on the court. Um, you know, gosh, Garth, I went to Oklahoma State. He graduated from Oklahoma State right before I started there. And uh, really, he kind of started breaking out my second, third year at Oklahoma State. So he was like our brother, you know, it's like everybody's brother. We would have cma and acm watching parties you know and cheer him on and, and everything every time he'd win it'd be awesome and then like my junior year he came back and sold out the big honky tonk there the tumbleweeds two nights in a row and then by the next year he sold out the basketball arena two nights in a row and then i moved to dallas I graduated moved to dallas and that's when the, in the very next year is when he started filming those specials at the 
you know, the basketball arena for a couple of years. I went to both those shows and then he started playing the football stadium down, you know, Texas stadium. And so it was just, it was just crazy to follow him all that way. Just continue to be a, a fan. And then all of a sudden you get a call that he's going to record a song that you've written. It's, you know, it, it's life changing. And, and not only that, then he says, Oh yeah, I'm, you know, George Jones is going to be on it also. It's like, if I'd had a rebound of George Strait cut that year, I probably would have just quit, retired, <laughs> said I'm done. Can't, can't do any better. Well, actually, Keith, you, you, did do, uh, you did do better just a couple short years later with your debut album, uh, Three Chord Country and American Rock and Roll, Certified Gold. Every single song on, on the CD is amazing. And what I can't help but wonder is with all the songs you wrote over those years and everything you just talked about, all those incredible writers that you wrote with. And I know Jeffrey produced, I think all, but the, uh, the title song, John Rich produced that. How did you pick the songs for that album? Like with all the ones you had to pick from, how hard was it? It's tough. And that's what everybody says. You know, you got your whole life to write your first record and then you got, you know, half a year to write your second one. Um, but I had so many songs written at that point um, that, it did help. I do wish going back now, because uh, I did have a little bit of a of a you know argument with not argument, but a talk with the head of the label uh, when I was at Arista, going, man, you think we're putting too many hits on this? You know, there's only, we're only going to get to three or four singles, and it felt like that whole first record was just stacked with, you know, there's a lot of radio friends that that really wanted Plan B to be a single, and really wanted Three Chord Country to be a single, and really there was just couple you know three or four other songs on there that, that could have wrap around could have been a real fun single and so it was it was uh tough you know and and to be honest i i did pull i just noticed you got my uh, cd back there behind you yeah um <laughs> uh, i uh, uh did pull back a couple of things for that second record one being uh a song that <laughs> that i'd written with with uh, uh john rich and Rodney Clawson that I talked to John about. And I said, Hey, I didn't put it on the first record, but man, you know, cause I, we had so many singles and I had two big ballads that, that we, uh, we only got to um, every time I hear your name on that first one. So I knew we were, we're just going to burn things that we couldn't reuse. So I held on to this song and I said, you know, I'm going to put it on the second record. And he's like, that's a perfect song for you. Yeah. You got to do that. And then, by the time I got the second record, Big and Rich were on their third record, and they weren't they weren't getting along real well at that time. They weren't they weren't writing a whole lot together. They kind of, you know, we're we're uh, so they their whole concept when they started was let's just take the best, you know, let's write. We won't record anything unless we wrote it together. And then I think at that point it was like they were just so busy and they weren't writing as much together. And their concept became let's just find the best songs that we've you've written or I've written, whether we wrote them together or not. And so I'm in the middle of recording my second record and have this song, this song I'm so excited about. Um, and the label's excited. We're going to put it out as our second single. And uh, I get a call from John going, hey, we're going to uh, got our first single on the third record. I'm like, heck yeah, because I've written a lot with John, a whole lot. And I've written quite a bit with John and Kenny. So I'm thinking it was, we had songs like John Wayne on a Bad Day, I'm on a Roll, like these really cool title songs that you can imagine are just big and rich anthems. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, heck yeah, okay, you know, I'm going to have another anthem to sing in my song. And I said, which one? He said, lost this moment. I'm like, oh, John, I remember I told you I was going to record that. And I've already, I've got it recorded, man. It's going to be on art. And he's like, hey, man, it's our first single. So at that point, you just got to jump on board and 
pray for the best. And it went to number, then there's still their only number one hit. So, um, wow. but yeah, one of those that kind of got away. You're just still going, Oof. <laughs> Yeah, but that's no small thing to accomplish to have a number one hit. So, no, it's great. And congratulations. I'm never gonna yeah. that. And people say, well, you made the same amount. It was, you know, the, you wrote the, that equal amount of publishing. And I'm like, yeah, but if that was my single, then my tour money would have went up and had a lot of merch things <laughs> around about that and all, you know, you sell more records and all that stuff. So, but anyway, yes. Yeah. And there's a, let's see here. That, where is it? Oh, I'm backwards here. Somewhere. Go. That's that right there. That's wow. the last moment. That's one of the, one of the plaques I got for it. And yeah. I think that's here, awesome. Or then that corner is a big and rich plaque somewhere. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I got, you know, it was, it was awesome. That is, that, that's, that's a, that's a huge accomplishment. Keith, what can fans look forward to the rest of the summer and fall with you? Well, we're touring a lot. Um, COVID sucked, as everybody knows. And I, I was going through a management and booking agent change right at the end of 2019. We were just, we were doing some different things and uh, switching management and getting ready to go uh, with, a, with a, a new booking agent and then COVID hit. And so I, man, it was rough. I, I uh, had that, that good friend of mine, Rusty Gaston, who always comes back. He helped manage me for, for a couple of years there until I could get some stuff in place. Uh, we've got a great management team in place last year and we just signed with a new booking agent for the first time since 2019, which has been tough. We stayed really relatively busy uh, other than the 2020 year. We, we still did pretty good that year, but we stayed pretty busy with just for the fact that we haven't had a booking agent. So we just did that and they've already added like 20 shows and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to ended up to be a huge, crazy busy end of the year all the way through the fall they're already they're adding shows already in september october so um yeah we're gonna be back out there doing it again finally on a regular basis again but it's it's been great because it gave me that big space there i i went through a, a really almost three-year custody battle um that right. i ended up winning but uh it, it ended up winning in 2017 and you know we really just have a tour but that that dead time just gave me so much more time at home and so much more time to really appreciate everything and just, and, and just, you know, love every bit of being a dad. So right. it's been great. Keith, I have to tell you before Rosie closes us out, I just have to do one thing here. I want our, our viewers to see this because when your first album came out and, and every one of those songs on that album's a hit, including Close Don't Make the Man. And I'll know when I get there, the last two songs, by the way. Thank you, man. Yeah. Fun. I love those. Yeah. I molded this in your likeness and have been wearing it ever since. That's awesome. It's got a little more of a Trace Atkins bend to it. Yeah. I, I just pulled one of mine out of the, uh, uh, I've got a big bunch of them in storage and I wear them, used to wear them about a year and then we'd auction them off. But now, you know, we don't do as many shows. So I usually wear the hats a couple of years and, and uh, just had to retire my, my old one uh, last week. I just still got the hat downstairs that I haven't even taken out. So I got to get it molded before the shows this weekend. So, yeah, I may have to take a screenshot here just so I can uh, maybe copy, <laughs> copy yours. I like that shape. Mine gets, mine gets uh, here's one of my old ones right here. Hold on. <laughs> These things, I've got like three old ones around the house now. These things get so beat up that, that uh, they just end up not even, you put them on, you're not even sure if they're, they're, 
they're straight or not. I get so beat up. You're like, you have to look in the mirror and ask somebody, is this, it feels, I know it's on, the, the inside's on correct, but it yeah. doesn't matter when it gets this beat up because you can go on stage looking like this and you're like, God, that guy's drunk. You guys look good. You should go do a show. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, my gosh, Keith, this has been so much fun. And as always, the time just flies. And uh, we wish you a great tour. And we hope you come to the Southeast at some point or Northeast, I guess. Yeah, we're more Northeast, but what, whatever, yeah. we're in the Philadelphia okay. area. We were just up in New York, but that's not too, real close, you guys. That's not too far. It's not too far. We've gone to New York, so. <laughs> so that's great. But anyway, thank you so much for joining us. We've had a great time. And folks, thank you for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed the show and we'll see you next week. Thank y'all. Tans in my tank tops Summertime and no flip flops A little country, a little rock, yeah Oh yeah, yeah. Dirt roads and dashboard lights Fool around on a Friday night Some jeans that fit just right, yeah Pickup trucks, concerts and Dixie cups, good songs and holding them up, yeah, yeah, yeah. You and that sexy smile, wet kisses driving me wild, so hot that there ain't no Get your hand.